And so oftentimes we let things slip. And our, our spouse is, you know, the person who loses out because of that. And so uh, these are just basic, simple, but I believe profound ideas that we have learned over the last 43 years. And, and we, we used to have this long list and sort of over the years we distilled that list down to 12 secrets, okay? And so that's what we're talking about, uh, 12 secrets that I believe can help you have a very, very successful marriage. Um, and so I think these are incredibly important because I think that the church is only as strong as our homes. Amen? The church is only as strong as our homes. And you've heard me say this before, strong homes make what? Strong churches and weak homes make weak churches. And I think that's why the enemy goes after our marriages so much. Uh, if you're a Christian and married, you have a huge target on your back, just so you know. Um, you may not realize that, but, but the enemy hates the fact that, that you're married. That first of all, you're a Christian, and second, you're married, and that you're trying to live out Christian values and principles um, in, a, in a culture that really isn't open to those whole ideas and really, you know, wanting to embrace them. And so we're constantly swimming upstream. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In our faith, in the way we live life, in the challenges that we face and how we deal with them. And so I believe the enemy wants to go after our homes so that he can destroy the church, the bride of Christ. And that's his whole intent. And that's why, that's why you've heard me say this before, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Can somebody say amen? It's a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. And that's why we have to fight, because the enemy wants to take us out, and he wants to destroy our marriage, or if you're single, our relationships, our life-giving relationships. And so I believe that, that if we work with God and try to strive towards living out the gospel, that we can make a huge difference in the kingdom. Amen? And so, our foundational verse, here it is again, foundational verse is Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. And so, I'm challenging um, those of us that are married. I'm challenging those of us that are single here today. Who's building your house? Are you allowing the architect called Jesus to build? your house, or are you allowing culture and things that are around you that you see develop and build your house? Well, I found out also that great marriages are no accident. It's not what happens to you that counts. It's what you do with what happens to you that makes a difference. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced with all of my heart that God wants us, God wants you, He wants I, myself, He wants us to have exceptional relationships. Amen? And so that's what this talk is all about. But if we're going to do that, we have to be willing to look in the mirror, be honest, and make the necessary changes in our lives if we're going to see God be honored in our marriages and our relationships. So, uh, so far, out of the 12, we've covered three. That was two weeks ago. The first one was, and I'm not going to camp here at all, first one was just simply, don't be the center of your universe. Make sure that God is the center of your universe. Make sure that He is number one, right? 
in your home and in your relationships. So make sure God is the center of your your universe and not you. Second, remember the golden rule. Uh, Treat others, what? As you would like to be treated. And so let's just turn that into treat your spouse like you would like to be treated. When you demand something from your spouse or you wish they would do that, ask yourself a simple question. Am I doing that to them? Am I doing that for them? And third, third, we talked about learning the art of good communication. And that's sort of where we left off last time. And we'll kind of pick up there because the inability to communicate properly is one of the biggest problems in homes today. It's, it's a topic of conversation that comes up in almost every marriage sort of counseling that Vicki and I do. It comes up. It's a problem. People aren't communicating properly. They, they're, they're not listening. They're not paying attention to one another. And so when you don't know how to communicate effectively, everyone say effectively, you're a ticking time bomb. It's just a matter of time. You keep, you keep swip, sweeping things under the carpet. How many of you ever heard that term? You keep sweeping things under the carpet, and over time, over time, there'll be a hump, and you'll start tripping over that because you've never really dealt with it, because you've never learned how to properly communicate. And so today, our big three, in terms of our marriage secrets, are going to be, first of all, pay attention. That's the blank that's missing there, or the fill in the blank, I should say. Pay attention. Pay attention. Everyone say, pay attention. (laughs) See, often, often, as I said last time we were together, when we talk about communication, oftentimes we think that we're talking about words only. You know, it's just words. It's just words. And, And I gave you a breakdown last time we were together of research that was done that sort of described the percentages assigned to the communication process. And uh, in your notes, you'll see that 38%, 38% of communication is tone and voice inflections. We also found out that 55% is, is facial expressions and posture and gestures and body language. Then we found out that, that 7%, 7% of communication is simply words alone. Just words alone. And, and, and now when you think about that, you know a little bit of why we have the problems we have. You know, we, we, we do something or say something, and then our spouse or our friend or someone in our, a relationship with us, you know, hears something completely different. And you're, and you're like me, and you say words like, but I didn't say that. You know, and then they'll say, well, yes, you did, because you did this, 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 and this, and this. Well, but, but that's not what I meant. Has anyone ever said that? <laughs> yeah. You see, the words specifically said one thing, and 93%, how many of you think that's a lot? 93% of what you just communicated was something entirely different. And, and now we know why we have some of the problems we have, see? Because we, we're not communicating healthy. We're not, we're, not, we're, not communica- we're not taking the tools that we have and trying to put them together, see, 
in a particular direction so that our heart is heard. And that's the, that's the issue. We, we know what's in our heart, and oftentimes, maybe, maybe not you, but me, oftentimes we are not communicating what's in our heart. See, and, and Vicky will say, well, that, that's not what you said. That's not what you meant. That's not the way I got it. It's not, you know, and I'm like, oh, time out, time out. No, that's what I meant. <laughs> I meant this. Well, that's not what you said. You know, has anyone ever had those debates before? Anybody? Okay. Just wanted to make sure I'm preaching to the right crowd today. <laughs> and so, if, if you are a student of communication, which I believe all of us need to be, if you're a student of communication, then you need to consider what I just said and sort of ap apply it and embrace it and allow it to affect the, the way you communicate. So you can communicate better and not be in as many arguments. So let me say this. Um, one of the biggest problems in communication is we don't listen very well. We don't listen very well. And, and all of us in this room, if you look around, you'll see that every person, as far as I can see, has two ears and one mouth, right? Which I'm not, you know, I, I'm just saying, I, I think it means something that maybe we should what? Listen more than we speak because we've got twice as much hearing capacity as we do speaking capacity. And so, so but, but here's the problem. A lot of us talk more than we listen. And a lot of us often don't listen very well. And I'm guilty of that. Um, sometimes we're, 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 we're trying our best to listen, and then we let other things distract us, right? And so today I want to just share a couple of thoughts that I think might help you. It's helped me, and when I apply them to my life, um, it helps yield some pretty good fruit. Um, good, good communication is based on the complete acceptance of your spouse or partner. It's wanting to honestly hear and understand. Honestly. Everyone say honestly. <laughs> it's wanting to honestly hear and understand. It's actually listening without trying to find a flaw in the person. <laughs> and maybe I'm the only one that does stuff like this. But oftentimes I find myself listening just simply so I can find a flaw. Or second, discover a weakness in the argument. And I, sometimes I find myself listening to, to gain, just gain time so I can have a rebuttal, right? I, I just want to just, just let her talk, and I've really sort of just heard the basics, and now I'm just waiting so I can rebut what she's saying. Not really listening because I want to understand, but listening because I'm trying to find that flaw. I'm trying to discover that weakness in the argument. And then I want to find time for rebuttal. Listen to this verse that, that might help you. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1, or chapter 1 and verse 5. Let the wise, how many of you want to be wise? Let the wise do what? Come on, help me now. 
Listen. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Notice, notice a very important part of being wise is listening. Uh, and I can tell you that I have not been wise in the past from time to time, and I find myself, I find myself not listening. But let me throw this at you just so you can understand some of the problems and hurdles. Nearly every single one of us has what I call emotional filters that prevent them from hearing certain things that other people say. Think about, think about filters that you may have in your house or your car or your lawnmower or whatever. Think about that. Every, everything we have that runs typically has some sort of filter, right? To, to filter out things that, that, that aren't necessarily helpful to the end result or the product. And here's what I also found out is whether you realize it or not, your past experiences, both positive and negative, color the way you look at life and shape your expectations. They shape your expectations, say. And so, so if you're not careful, you'll have all these filters going on and, and you're not listening because of all these things happening from past experiences, both positive and negative. Say. And so, as Mark Twain once said, a cat that sits on a hot stove will never sit on a hot stove again. He'll never sit on a cold one either. From then on, he just won't like stoves very much. <laughs> right? It's so true. Because past hurts shape our response to current situations unless properly dealt with. Did you hear me? Past hurts sort of shape our response to current situations unless we really deal with them properly. If you've never worked through um, your strong past emotional experiences, you may, you may be filtering, you may be filtering what others say through those experiences. And so as a result of that, you can't listen very well. Because that filter, they're saying one thing, even if they're using all the right tools, is going through your filter and you're hearing something completely different because of past experiences. We, we often project on others what others have done to us, see? And I, I find this in marriage often. It's, it's, you know, maybe it was a broken situation, maybe it was... Uh, unfaithfulness, maybe it was some other thing that was extremely hurtful, and that person gets into a new relationship, and they start being suspicious of that person, the new person, based on the last person's failures, say. And you can, you can sort of run that out and see how often that happens in our lives. We project on people that are not responsible for our hurt. And we do that oftentimes to the ones that we love the most. It's unfortunate, but we do. And so, so we have to deal with some of these things that have happened, or we're going to be filtering what others say through those experiences. And, and I believe it's, it's important, it's critical, it's a necessity for us to do that in order to become a, an effective listener. And I can promise you that I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. Um, yesterday, I, I had an assignment uh, from my wife, 
to go to uh, Home Goods and pick up a piece of uh, furniture for our new house. And, um, and I was listening. I was trying to pay attention. There was one problem. Um, the Badgers just fumbled the ball. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And now you're just like, did you have to bring that up? I came to church to be edified, right? Uh, and so I'm listening to this in the house, and I'm trying to get in the car to go do this, and I, and I you know, am kind of freaking out because I, I thought we'd probably win that game, but yeah, there you go. And so, so the Badgers messed up, fumbled the ball, and it distracted me, and I, I wasn't being a very good listener, and I went to the home goods store without what I was supposed to have to pick up the piece of furniture. <laughs> it was sitting at home on the counter. <laughs> but I, maybe that's just me. Maybe you've never experienced anything like that. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't the Badger game. Maybe it was something completely different, right? Um, yeah, so we get distracted, and we don't listen very well. And that creates a lot of tension, a lot of frustration, and a lot of conflict in our marriage or relationships. As Sigmund Freud stated, he said, a man with a toothache cannot be in love, meaning that the toothache doesn't allow him to notice anything other than his pain. Just the whole idea behind the distractions of life, they cause us not to listen very well or pay attention because of what we're experiencing in other areas of our life. So let me give you five basic rules of engagement. I'm going to go through these pretty quick so we can move on. Uh, for effective communication, for, to become a, an effective listener. First of all, just simply open posture. When you're communicating, open posture. You know, just, you know, learn, learn to face your, your spouse or whatever. You know, make sure that you're, you're, you're creating an open environment and not a closed-minded or an on-guard sitting there with your arms folded like you're upset. Second, encouraging nods and acknowledging words. Uh, in other words, that communicates that you're in the game. All right? So, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Are you sure? You know, that, that tells me that Vicky's in the game, right? That we're communicating and she's listening, right? Sometimes, sometimes she's not in the game and sometimes I'm not in the game and, you know, she's having a conversation with someone else, with a dog or something, you know, because I'm not paying attention, right? So, yeah, just some basic communication things that'll tell that you're in the game. Uh, another one, another good one is eye contact. Eye contact. Just look at each other. Um, one time during a marriage workshop, a wife told her husband, when you look at me while I'm talking to you, it's like you are touching me with your eyes. Interesting. Interesting. Number four. Lance is laughing over there. Number four, touch. Yeah. The most powerful nonverbal listening skill is uh, the way to immediately drain anger from a situation is to touch, just to reach over and touch um, someone. Uh, I see it sometimes in church. Uh, you know, a, a gal and a guy will be sitting together, husband and wife, and a gal will reach over and put her arm on her husband's leg, and then all of a sudden he's like checked out of the message. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, and then number five, simply set the scene. 
set the scene. Try to eliminate distractions. Put your phone down. Put your phone down. Amen. And uh, just learn to listen. Great verse that Vicki and I learned years ago um, that really helped us was Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay? All right. So that's the first secret for today. Number two is train your spouse. Train your spouse. Yeah. Vicky and I took Cody to puppy class when he was just a little guy. And we learned that, you know, one of the best ways to train Cody um, is to give him lots of praise, right? Uh, not, not just being critical and yelling and screaming and raising your voice, but, you know, just to, just to give him lots of praise, and Vicky and I, after the class, started talking about that's kind of like our spouse. <laughs> it's so true because one of the things that we've taught for years is in relationships and, and marriage, learn to praise the positive aspects of your spouse. So often, so often we have a tendency to pick out all of their faults and constantly be on each other about all their weaknesses or faults or what we perceive to be faults. And so, and so what we can do is take some, take some ideas and instructions from even our puppy class <laughs> that kind of hit us about eight, nine years ago when we were doing this with Cody. It was like, yeah, that's, exactly, that's exactly what we need to do with each other. Is, is praise the positive aspects. Train, train your spouse, in other words. Train, let them know when, when, you know, you appreciate them. Let them know when, when something's going on that, that really touches you. You know, praise the positive aspects of your spouse. See, love always lifts up, lifts up and builds, but critical comments destroy and wound. And you've heard me say this before, but negative words don't make a person positive. See, you think that, you know, you're helping to shape them and make them and mold them and fix them, if you will. And in reality, you're actually, you know, sort of aiding and abetting the hurt because you're, you're on them about all the things that are wrong with them and Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. See, the words that come out of our mouth when we praise the positive aspects of our spouse can build and heal and help and help shape and create wonderful things within our spouse. You know, I found out that Vicki never gets tired of positive affirmation. And Vicky knows that I, you know, the top, my top love language is words of affirmation. She knows that. And so she oftentimes will speak into that. You know, you're the man. <laughs> you like that? No. <laughs> you're the man. You know, she, she's got her little thing that she does. And, and she just lets me know I'm all that in the back of chips, you know. 
and that I can do it. And she's got her thing that she communicates to me that makes me feel like a million bucks. You know, and no, nobody else can touch me like she can. And nobody else can hurt me like she can. And the same is true for me and her, say. See, nobody, nobody, can, nobody can love you like your spouse or your, you know, whatever relationship you might be in. So your spouse never gets tired of that. People respond best to, to respect and praise and affirmation, not criticism, not critical comments, not trying to, you know, make them feel bad or demean them. I don't know why we think that's healthy and helpful. You know, just to let our words fly, just, you know, just because we're feeling upset or, and we just let it fly and we say things that probably we don't mean or not to that degree, and they hurt. And they bring death because the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. So we need to watch our words, amen? Watch what we say. You know, people will do just about anything to get a little praise sometimes. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, every man is entitled to be valued by his best moments, not his worst. Amen? See, every one of us need to have a good self-image of ourself, not one of self-pride, but of self-worth. And nothing builds up self-esteem like the approval, compliments, and encouragement of a spouse. Nothing. There was this research project years ago that I read and they basically revealed the most important and least important words in the human relationship. If you're taking notes, here's some fill in the blank. Five most important words in the human relationship is, I am proud of you. I am proud of you. And there's a whole study behind why that came out as one of the top the four most important words was, what is your opinion? What is your opinion? Three most important words are, if you please. Two most important words, who can guess? Thank you. Thank you. And the least important word was I. I. Never, ever notice that pride is spelled P-R-I-D-E? I, being right in the middle of pride. See, pride and arrogance will destroy your relationship. Pride and arrogance will destroy your marriage. And you're constantly lifting, lifting yourself up and putting your spouse down. See, that's what pride is. It's a sorry act of lifting yourself up while putting others down, say, yeah. Amen. So number three, the third thing that we're going to talk about today, and we'll wrap up with this. Number three is be touchy. You've, you've probably heard before, don't, don't be so touchy. No, be touchy. Be touchy. Nourish your love through touch. Touch. I'd say that, and Brendan goes like this and pets. Pats Jessica on the leg. Yeah. Touch. See, there's something, there's something in touch, as you probably just experienced it, Jessica. 
There's something in touch that conveys volumes of words without saying anything. I'm talking about healthy touch here, not, not weird stuff, okay? All right. Touch. Love says I need to touch you, to sense you, to let you know I am here and I am aware that you are there. I say touch. And Jesus understood this whole idea uh, and the importance of touch. As a matter of fact, look at your notes on the screen, Mark 10, verse 13 through 16. He said to them, go, let the children come to me. And don't hinder them from the kingdom, for the kingdom of God is, uh, is such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God is like, or like a little child will never enter it. And he took the, took the children in his arms and he did, did what? He put his, help me now, hands on them and blessed them. You know, there's something powerful uh, about touch. Because I believe when touch is done in a healthy, life-giving way, okay, that there's a blessing that accompanies it. See, Jesus put his hands on the children and blessed them. Well, think about that. Think about when you have just, again, with no motives, you know, how many of you know you don't always have to end up somewhere when you touch someone, <laughs> okay? Always remember that, all right? So I'm talking about good, healthy, loving touch. I believe that when it is accompanied with the right heart, it will bring a blessing. Jesus put his hands on them and blessed them. Why is touch so important to our physical and spiritual and emotional health? See, uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 19, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing all of them. See, why? Because there's something powerful that comes from touch. The Scripture tells us that there's a special impartation given through touch. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, in your notes, on the screen, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their, what? Hands on them. Did you know that God implanted in our bodies about 5 million touch receptors? Research, research says 5 million touch receptors, and one-third of those receptors are in our hands. Yeah, so that, that's, that's why if you study the Bible, you'll find out that oftentimes there was an impartation, a powerful anointing, a releasing of something significant through the laying on of hands. See, there's a blessing that accompanies that. Some studies show that meaningful touch can increase our lifespan by two years. Interesting. You actually live longer by the proper touch. In a study that was found, done in, by UCLA, it was found um, that in order to maintain emotional and physical health, we need 8 to 12 meaningful touches each day. Think about that. 8 to 12 meaningful touches each day. One guy heard that, and he went home and went, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, there. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about meaningful touches, meaning that there's something to be conveyed from your heart and your life as you touch that person. We all, we all know what that looks like, and we all know what that feels like. All of us, I think all of us have experienced 
that touch of acceptance, right? Uh, we've all had a hug or a handshake that says, welcome. We've also all had a handshake and a hug that says, keep your distance. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? See, for many, many, you know, touch or physical, you know, physical touch was not a part of your upbringing. It was, it was just not there. It was just, you know, it was, you know, your, your mom and your dad weren't touchy people. And, and so you're not. But here's the deal. Since it's a vital part of healthy communication and building life-giving relationships, I think it's something that needs to be learned. I think you need to see the benefit of that. And you don't have to become someone else, but realize how important that whole idea of being a person that touches and brings health and wholeness as a result of it um, can bring just an amazing aspect into other people's lives, especially our spouse. We need to realize that avoiding healthy, appropriate, meaningful touch sacrifices physical and emotional health in the lives of the ones that are in our lives and our loved ones around us. It's just important for us to pass on and to give a blessing, you know, through our touch, our physical touch, and the way we shape things. See, there, there, there's, there's five different things that I think touch brings into our lives. I call them the five A's. Uh, of meaningful touch. First of all, I think it conveys or communicates acceptance when we touch properly. I think it communicates affection. I think it communicates appreciation. It also communicates approval. And number five, attention. Let me go through those again. Benefits of meaningful touch, acceptance. Affection, appreciation approval, and attention. I think all of those things happen as a result of meaningful touch. Does that do something to you when I reach over and touch you? And we're sitting on a chair and I put my arm on, on your shoulder? Yeah? Yeah, see, that, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to release those kinds of things. Let's stand to our feet. So let me ask you a question. What would our homes and our families and our churches be like as the team comes? What would be, what would be, be like if we, first of all, included God in the center of our marriage? And then we honored and respected one another. And we learned how to properly communicate in life-giving ways and we developed some good listening skills and praised the positive aspects of our spouse and then nourished our relationship through touch. I think as we begin to, to apply God's Word in our lives and strive to a, to a whole other level, I think we would experience a higher level of joy and satisfaction. And I think also we would make a greater impact in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are able to overcome all the negative, critical aspects of our culture that is constantly trying to drip on our marriages and drip on our relationships to the point where it's eroding our families.
God, all of our heart breaks when we see someone that we love that has once walked together with someone else end it. And we see the, the, the collateral damage as a result of it. Our hearts break. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for marriages in our church. We pray for marriages in this city. We, we pray for life-giving relationships for those that are single. Teach us your ways, God. Teach us your ways. Teach us to walk out the gospel. Teach us to love each other and care about each other and to use the tools of good, healthy communication that you've given us, God. Help us to love our spouse as husbands like you, Jesus, love the church and as wives, how we respect our husbands and honor them. God, I pray for our church. I pray that you would keep your hand of blessing upon us, that we would continue to develop the character of Christ and the way we live our lives, the way we treat one another. This morning, if you're here and you say, you know, some of the things that you were sharing, I, it just challenged me, and I know I need to make some corrections in my life. Would you pray for me? Slip up your hands. I want to pray for you. God bless you. All over the place. God bless you. Father, that hand just simply gives you permission to mess with them and to bring some powerful change into our lives.